um, of what God has been doing in their life. That's what it's about. Amen. Hands up who, who um, hands up that God has been doing something in their life. Okay, that's a pretty good ratio. Okay, and there's probably still someone that hasn't put their hand up because they don't like that. So who's got a testimony about what God has been doing in your life? Who wants to use this scary microphone? Carsten, you're coming, brother, aren't you? Yeah. For those of you that don't know Carsten, Carsten's from 1770, yeah. Agnes Water, aren't I you? Am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. He comes down quite often. He's a good brother in the Lord. Bless Thank you. you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, um, wow. My name's Carsten, and I believe in miracles. I've, I've had a miracle happen this week. And I believe in miracles because um, I am one. About, um, I don't know, about 25 years ago, I ended up in a, in a rehab. You know, I was a, a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic and, you know, sticking needles in my arms and all this sort of thing. And, um, and I was at the bottom, you know, and I didn't know how to keep going and uh, I wanted to end it. You know, I wanted to end, end my life and all that. And, um, but in... But instead of that, I found myself in a rehab run by the Salvation Army and um, and I found the Lord and I found God and I found Jesus as my saviour and ever since, you know, my hope has always been in, in my loving creator and I always put my hope in the Lord, you know. And, you know, this, this problem of, of addiction, it's a, it's a curse, it's a generational curse and... Um, I've got two daughters, and my older daughter has gone even further down, you know. She's been at the bottom of bottoms for close to 25 years, you know. And um, everybody gave up hope in her, but I didn't. I hung on, and I, I prayed to God, and I trusted God, and I would, you know, I would learn about the authority that I have because the Spirit of God is in me. The authority of God I have. I have the faith of the Son of God in me. And in spite of all the fear that this world projects and all the difficulties and doubt and everything else, I stand firm as best as I can, I mean, as a human being, you know. But I always turn back to the Lord. And you know what's happened? My daughter's been in rehab for about a month now. She's been hungry for God. And she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ on Wednesday night with me. And I know that the angels in heaven are rejoicing for another soul saved. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. It's awesome. Well, that's a good testimony to start off with. Amen. Woo! The one who breaks every chain. Amen. Jesus can break every chain. Um, we can get bogged down with all the stuff going on around us. We can, we can look at the world and all the bad decisions that are being made for us and all the, all the rubbish and all the sin and all the control and all of that stuff. But the Lord's been really saying to me lately, I just want you to look at me. Like just... 
you know, he's been drawing me to sit more with him, uh, to sit at his feet, to, to just focus on him. Um, yeah, we just need to look at him. We just need to, to pray, to spend time with him, to look at the word, to focus on him. You know, another a, a scripture that he, uh, he gave to me was Psalm 37, where it says, fret not about what evil men are doing. Um, we just got to look at Jesus. That's all. Come on, you're over there. Okay. So, do you remember a, a couple of months ago? Thank you. Right. <laughs> yes, good. A couple of months ago, I told you about um, a man in prison who'd been there since he was um, a youth and um, that he'd been there, they'd put him away. They didn't really, um, um, he, he was charged with murder, but he was never convicted. And he was put in prison and he was never given a prison sentence time. He was just said, at, at her, her Majesty's pleasure. That was all. He's been there ever since. He was 18, I think, 18 years old at the time. He is now 60, 59. Now, we prayed, and I asked you to pray, and I, I, I reckon you, some of you must have prayed because God has just, and I said, and not only that, but his whole life has been wasted and used up in there and stolen from him, and so um, he's due for some recompense. Well, now, we prayed, and all of a sudden... The warders want him out of there. They are just want to get him out of there. And they are starting to realise they are liable for so much because of keeping him there all that time and, and, and never letting him have his parole or a freedom of any kind. So I thank you for your prayers and I thank God for what he's doing there. I can't wait. This man's going to be out within a few days, I would say. Praise God. Who's going first? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself? Um, my name's Caroline, and um, I originally come from Bundaberg, but um, I've been up in the Territory most of my life working with all the Indigenous and that. And um, one day I um, got up and I said, I have to move on because my family were calling me back here for a certain meeting and the silliest thing I never done was check my car. So, but anyhow, I bought a four-wheel a four drive uh, BT50 Mazda and um, I drove all the way. It, it took um, a few days, uh, nearly a week, to get to Bundaberg because I was on dialysis, which I had to catch Brockhampton Hospital before the 7th of May. Got there, got on the dialysis, rushed next day down here for the meeting for my people. But um, my niece turned around and said, Arnie, have you got any tools in your car? And I just looked at it like a dumb mullet. <laughs> but anyhow, I said, I don't think so. I don't even think I got a screwdriver in the car. And I drove all that way 
But before I left Darwin, I, I said prayers on my car and myself and that, and I, had, I drove all the way. And when I got to a place called Reming, it's a little, little um, side road, uh, roadhouse, and all these bikies were everywhere. And I was lying there in my car. I couldn't sleep because they were ramming their motorbikes up and everything. And I said, please, Lord, I just want to sleep. I'm tired from driving, you know, and that. And then um, I kept travelling next day. And then when I got to Mount Isa, drove to, to um, um, what's the place called? Concurry. And when I got to, before I got to Concurry, I nearly had an accident. I swung the car and I was dozing off the sleep at the wheel. So I drove back off the side and just laid there for and had a 40 wink, you know. And then I got up and I kept going and I said, pray, thank you, Lord, for being there and that. And um, I just kept going until I got to Rockhampton and then all this happened and then my knees turned around and asked me for my tools and I didn't even have a screwdriver. I didn't even have the wheel spinner. I had nothing. And I looked up and I said, thank you, Lord. I'm glad I had a lot of faith in you to lead me back here without any other problems and not even a flat tyre and that. Oh. And I was on my own. I was really on my own. But then again, I'm glad I had a husband who, before he passed away, showed me a bit of mechanic work. So you women can learn your mechanic work if you want it, <laughs> when you haven't got your husband with you. <laughs> but, yeah, I thank God his eyes were on me. Yeah, he was with me all the way. And it's very nice to be here this morning because... There's, it's, I've been to another church over in Elliot Heads Road. Elliot Heads Road, what's it called? Yeah. And then I went to the other church down the road from the hospital. And then I said, came here and I was thinking, I don't know where I want to be, Lord. You know, I'm sharing my love to every church instead of the church sharing the love with me. And that. But, yeah, I'm happy. I'm always happy with my people. I love the Lord. I love the people in every church I go to because I don't believe in enemies and that. Yeah. Enemy is not good. It, life is too short to worry about enemies. Let's move on and try and encourage each other. And that, that's what I believe in. And, that. and I thank you all. Love you all and that. I go to the uh, Crossroad Baptist Church in Darwin. They're my main one in that because I grew up in Bundaberg here in the Baptist Church, the old one, but they moved it from George Street, I remember. And I don't know where they moved because I've been looking for that. It's only a little <laughs> church. Maybe you know. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, hey. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you and God bless you all. Love you. Oh, I just want to um, tell you a really grateful um, story from the week. I, I had a, 
you know, a series of unfortunate events happen all in one day and every one of those events could have just totally ruined my day and each one of them just was like God looking after me and other people. So the first unfortunate, there was, there was blowing 30 knots or something down in the river and this beautiful girl who's on a boat down there um, and doesn't know very much about it, her boat dragged and so there was me and another fella, you know, and her, she can't start a motor and it's not working so we had to drag her, you know, around and try and get her re-anchored and another bloke on, up on the boat. So that, you know, that was quite a process and we finally got it done and then someone said, oh, you know, you never catch these things on, on camera, do we, all these dramas that happen? You know, we always have, you know, the, the nice moments on the boat. We don't have the terrible moments. So I've looked in my bag for my phone to take a last photo of it all happening and where's my phone? Then I realised I'd left it in the toilet up at the cafe on shore and I said, oh, no, I've left my phone up there in the toilet. And they said, oh, you've lost it now, <laughs> you know. So I bolted, went up there and I'm, God, look after my phone, please, <laughs> look after my phone. Got up there straight to the cafe. Oh, yeah, this is your phone. <sighs> so, um, number one, in that wind, we didn't, you know, there was a couple of times we came so close to other boats and were only just getting the boat away and not hitting another boat. Then I got my phone back and then I was heading back to my boat and my beautiful little cat that I absolutely adore um, I could see her as I was getting closer hanging off this fender and trying to get back on the boat and just falling back in, trying to climb up again, falling in and I don't know how long that had been happening but as I, uh, as I got closer she fell in for the last time and was like in the tide getting carried away and just like, like this and she saw me <laughs> and like Ugh. and I got there and scooped her up and like no idea how grateful I am for that. Like another minute and it's been too late for her. Yeah. So thank you, God. We got one more. Yep. No. How you doing, Brian? For those who don't know, this is Brian. Hey, Sonia, stand up. That's Sonia. There you go, Sonia and Brian. They're Victorians. Well, they were. No, 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 they're not. They're, um, they're Queenslanders. Good morning. I just want to share how good God is. Um, my daughter's stuck on the border, can't get across with my grandson who was born in Townsville and he can't come home to Queensland. They got the wrong permits, according to the police, on the border at Gundawindi. So they were turned away and they've gone to some little town, I can't... Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> staying at a caravan park, they, they um, went there because they had nowhere to go. But it turns out a nice little town and... Uh, in the caravan park and they're having a swim yesterday 
And uh, they got talking to a, a man there, and we've been praying for them that God would give them favour. And uh, they were talking to a man, turned out to be a policeman. They didn't know it at the time. And um, they become friendly with this policeman, and, he's, and they explained their situation. And he said, well, if I can do anything to help you, just let me know. Um, if you've got a quarantine over this side of the border for 14 days, I will write out a statement to verify that you've done it. Now, when we think nothing is happening, God's in the midst, working for us, even when we think nothing's happening. And isn't that, that's just great. Amen. So I just want to encourage you that if you've got, if you feel stuck, you feel nothing's happening in your life, think again. You're wrong because God is working for you. Okay. This reminds me of that um, bridge in that song, even when you can't see it. He's working. Even when you can't feel it, he's working. Because he never stops working. That's gonna just leads into the verse of scripture God gave me, but I'll hand over to Matt first. Well, that goes into with what I was gonna say. Um, so remember I told you all about a bloke who drove into me in the middle of the main street. <laughs> so I never thought I'd see him again. So yesterday I was on my way into the hub and I thought I really need a chocolate milk. So, so, so God, God allows you to have chocolate milk. So here I am, I pull up at the service station at the airport and I look over and here he is in the same car, just sitting in his car. And I'm like, okay, so that is him. So I went up to his window and I said, how you going, mate? Do you remember, you know, do you remember me? And he goes... No. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm the fellow that you drove into in the middle of town. And he goes, his face just lit up. And he goes, I never thought that I would see you again. So I said, well, how have you been going? And he said, the doctors are amazed how I'm going. He said, the, some of the cancers left. It shrunk right back. And where it was in his spine, it's now in his ribs, and that's it. So he's continuing on with his treatment. But he said, the doctors cannot believe how I am healing. And this bloke was so excited. And I said, well, can I pray for you again? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like leaning forward so I could put my hand in through the window. So I prayed for him again. I prayed for healing, and I prayed that Jesus would reveal himself to him. And I also prayed that he would... You know, that he can come to Jesus at any moment. He just needs to ask and Jesus will meet him there. So I left him. I said, mate, well, I've got to go. Um, you know, I'll see you later. And I walked into the shop and I came out with my chocolate milk. And uh, as I walked, he was walking out of his, he was walking past me and he's going, like, I didn't recognise him because when last time I saw him, he was like this. And he was just walking, normally. 
And he goes, look, I can walk. And he's like, I don't even need my stick anymore. And I was just like, God is so good. So when you don't think that, you know, anything's happened, remember that God's always working. And it's just our obedience sometimes. So... Cool. So I just want to share a quick verse of scripture before Neil comes up and um, shares what he's got. Um, there's two things the Lord's been speaking to me about over the, the last few weeks. And um, I had a conversation with someone during the week. I've been spending a, lot, um, a bit of time um, online in Zoom praying with people from different states and different uh, territories. In fact, last Wednesday, which was the 22nd at 12 noon, I joined with Katie and, and a bunch of others from, from different states and territories in unity to stand against the division and things that are in our nation. And, um, you know, God is, God is certainly doing some things. And I had another conversation with someone that just dropped a, dropped a little seed about family and I gave out that word last Thursday, which I put on Facebook about family. Um, but there's more to, to unpack from that. But the other thing the Lord... Um, gave me which I just wanted to share with you briefly is that which really just dovetails into what we've just heard is that God is actually working more than what we can see he's he is there is something on our oh, there is something on our horizon it's not a bad thing it's birthed by God there's something on our on our horizon and I don't want to put, a bo- put it in a box and I don't want to say it's this or I don't want to say it's that. I don't want to say it's going to look like this or I don't want to say it's going to look like that because most of the time when, when we do that, we get it a bit wrong. We, we try and shape it. But nevertheless, there is something I'm convinced in my spirit that, that, is on, that is on our horizon and the enemy is trying to do everything he can to divert us, to discourage us, to distract us. But the truth is that there's something that's on our horizon and God wants us to position ourselves and align ourselves for what He is about to do. You need to position your heart before Him that you are totally open and receptive. We need to get rid of anything and, you know, in a sense we need to say, God, create in me um, clean hands and a pure heart, God. Amen. We need to position ourselves and align ourselves because we're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. We're going to have to get amongst family and we're going to have to be family and we're going to have to um, press in a little bit together. Uh, God has been building a resilience and a perseverance in His people. For those that are willing and, you know, been listening, God has been building a, a, like a resilience in His people. And the vision I had was like Rocky Balboa in Rocky Four. Has anyone ever seen that movie? Uh, some of us have yeah my sons have because it's my favorite movie of all time but he was little rocky he was about this high and the russian was like this high and the russian had been pumped pumped full of steroids rocky rocky had been doing it the hard way he was chopping wood he was running in snow he must have been in tasmania because it's been snowing this week no actually he he was in russia it was snowing and he was chopping wood, he was running up mountains, he, he was doing it the hard way and this, and this, and this Russian was in an air-conditioned gym and he was getting pumped, pumped full of steroids. But he was like this big and Rocky was like this big. And Rocky was there to avenge the death of his mate Apollo Creed. And he stood in the ring and he's like, whoa. And then, was there a little bit of doubt in Rocky? There probably was. Well, the movie says, says that there was. Anyway, ding, ding, round goes. And for the first two rounds, he just gets thumped, 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 thumped. 
and then something starts to something starts to trigger in him. He goes, you know what? He's hitting me, but I'm still up. He got he he got knocked down a couple of times, but he just bounced straight back up again. And something started to twig in him. He says, is that all he's got? And then so for round three, four, five, five, six, he was saying to the Russian, come on, come on, come on. Is that all you got? And he was just still hitting him, hitting him. And then Rocky got this right hook in and he went bang. And he cut him. And his, corners, and his corner, as a word of encouragement, shouted out to him. He said, see, he's a man. He bleeds. He's not a machine. And Rocky's going, yeah. Anyway, long story short, he knocked the Russian to the floor and that was the end of it. <laughs> anyway, you got to think, where are you going with this, Tim? Some people feel they've been bruised and battered by the enemy. There's, there's many in our nation that have been bruised and battered by the enemy in all kinds of ways. But you know what? The Lord is building a resilience and a faith in his people that know that we are more than conquerors, that know that we are overcomers and God is a positioning us for a move of the Spirit that is going to bring alignment into our nation and I fully believe it. And he led me because he gave me Isaiah 62 two years ago and he came to me and he said, Tim, I just want you to read. Yesterday he said, Tim, I just want you to read the, the last three verses. This is what it says. Go out, go out through the city gates and prepare a way for the people. Build it up, build up the highway of our God. Clear away every stone, amen, every hindrance, every obstacle is to be removed and raise a banner for the peoples, amen. Look, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to your daughter Zion, look, your salvation is coming and his wages or his recompense are with him and they will be called a holy people, the Lord's redeemed and you will be called, cared for, a city not deserted. So if there's any discouragement in you, shake it off. If there's any distraction upon you, shake it off and fix your eyes upon Jesus because he's in the process of doing something that people are just going to be amazed and our cry is going to be, look what the Lord has done. For the Lord has done great things. Amen. I just want to start by sharing a, a, a very quick testimony. And uh, I was in the hub. It's actually Prayer and Megan's testimony, but I was involved in it. And um, they came in with this man who was down and out, crying, He'd been uh, given a death sentence uh, of cancer and me uh, prayed, just said, come and pray. So we went over and we prayed for this guy and uh, all sorts of things, healing, that he'd know the Lord and all these sort of things. Anyway, he left and that was that. And I was in the hub by myself and he walked in the door. And the man who walked in the door was not the man who walked out of the door. His smile was from ear to ear he was just absolutely glowing and I looked at him and I said what's happened to you he said I've just been down to Bagara and I've been baptized and that was awesome but I just want to say that because on Sunday uh, last Saturday not yesterday Saturday before we we're also in the hub and a lady came in looking very down and out and I just said to her have a blessed day and she said I'm on my way to the hospital to see my husband he's been diagnosed with been fighting cancer for 10 years and he doesn't have long to live and just said Matt and Tam were there as well just said look can we pray for him what's his name his name was John 
and we prayed for John. She walked out of there like she wasn't even touching the floor. She was just so excited to know that somebody cares. And so why I said that is because Tim mentioned before that we're looking for volunteers in the hub. The time in the hub is absolutely awesome. You don't know what God is going to bring through that door. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be scared because God meets you where you're at. And when they come in and they share their life with you, there's an opportunity for you to bless them. So if you're not, haven't got the name down, there's plenty of training that can happen. Get, in, get on board because it is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Okay. Tim, with the song, the new song you brought today, Alita, you have no idea what you did this morning. Tom, you have no idea. The Lord woke me at one o'clock this morning and he said to me, it's all about generation to generation. What's that song we sang this morning about generation to generation? And the Lord said to me two things. He said, I've got two things in my possession that I actually really, really cherish. And he said to take them along today and I brought them along with me. The first one here, it's called the Morehouse Family History. Now my grandmother, her parents, he was a Reverend Morehouse and they immigrated from England back on the 3rd of February 1887 aboard the steamship the SS Dakar. When they left England, they were given a handkerchief, a silk handkerchief that had been anointed in England and he carried it to Australia to bring the anointing with him. And what happened was he was a, uh, um, a minister out into the Esk Laidley area and in there we've got, in that book, we've got Every day uh, on, the ship, on the steamship, his encounters with God and how God brought them through a safe passage in the midst of wild storms and all sorts of things. But then he goes on to his mission work out in those areas. And I believe, generation to generation, what he started in bringing the gospel into those areas has gone forward into our generation. Does anyone know what this is? A stick? When, I, uh, when our family was cleaning mum and dad's house out, uh, when she went into a nursing home, we found the stick. I had no idea what it was, but I said, I want it. And none of the family wanted it, so I said, they gave it to me and said, yeah, you can take it. And it wasn't until years later, I thought it was a walking stick. And it's got a... Uh, tip on it it's a copper tip and I thought maybe there's a rubber missing off it and it was a walking stick and then I did some research and I noticed there's a silver um, band around the top and I couldn't it was engraved but I didn't know what with so I got the magnifying glass out and I had a look and it's actually my grandfather who fought in World War One, went to England and did his officer training and he came out as a lieutenant colonel and he was presented with this, it's called a swazza stick. And it was presented to him on the 29th of February, 1926. And it was given as a sign of authority to the officers. And you may see in some of the movies that you'll see an officer with it underneath his arm like that. 
Um, and it was also used when they did their inspections and they'd go along and clean those shoes, you know, this, 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 this. And so, but I've, I've accepted it. <laughs> I've accepted it as uh, a sign of authority in the spirit that has been passed from generation to generation. So, that the Lord just said, bring them with me. But I want to explain, go back and talk about my religious upbringing. I was brought up in the Methodist Church. Has anyone here been brought up in the Methodist Church? Yep. It was a very, very controlling, legalistic upbringing. And just to just a, an oversight, and I think it's a funny thing myself. I'm not for or pro or for against alcohol. Don't get me wrong, that's not where I'm going with this. But we were taught that one in ten people is an alcoholic. And you do not know until that touches your lips. And so I was fearful, absolutely fearful. And I came to Bundaberg and I met Michelle. <laughs> and she took, me, <laughs> she took me to meet her sister. And we uh, went to the table, we sat around the table and I opened up a bottle of wine and I went, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? And they said, would you like some? And they poured, I said, only very, very little bit. I was so fearful I thought my wife was going to end up on the floor a full, full alcoholic because it had touched her lips. That's the fear that I was brought up in. And it's really, really hard. I can tell you it's really, really hard as you grow in the Lord. And, I mean, all that stuff's behind me, but it still has an effect from time to time and raises its ugly head. The, the section I want to talk about today is in Samuel and I asked Tim if I could share this because the Lord took me on a journey and I'd like to take you on a journey if you have your Bibles we're into Samuel first Samuel 9 when Israel asks for a king uh, I'm going to be staying in that in that basic area uh, so as I, I talk the Hebrew language was a very pictorial language so in our English language it doesn't explain a lot of things and the Hebrew language has so much meaning and so much more in-depth meaning the Lord took me to first Samuel chapter 9 and I read it and I thought oh yeah okay and then every time I picked up my Bible it kept taking me back to first Samuel chapter 9 and I said what's what's in first Samuel chapter 9 why why do you keep taking me back there so I started to do some research and started to study it. And so I want to share with you today my journey through that chapter. And I'm going to read, first of all, just before I get to 9, just the last little bit, well, a little bit here in Samuel 8, because that sets the scene. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest game and accepted bribes and preferred justice. So all the, Israels, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, 
Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you who they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So that lays the basis of it. And Samuel was a judge. And the king, the people were asking for a king. But God was their king. So they're wanting to put somebody else in the place of God. And that's where it all went wrong. So let's now go to Samuel 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, and Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. This is where I came unstuck. What has donkeys got to do with this passage? <laughs> donkeys were a sign of wealth. And they were used for farming, for hauling, for transport. Even the lowest of the lowest had a donkey. Because that's how they got around. But the number of donkeys that they had was a sign of how wealthy they were. And so to lose them was not a good thing because it went against their standing in the community. And so I'm thinking, well, I still didn't understand what donkeys got to do with it. And so I started to research a little bit more. I got the Bible commentary out, I got the concordance out, I got Google. <laughs> and the word donkey can also be translated as a flow or a breakthrough. It was very interesting. And so, as you load the donkey up and you flow with the goods, or you break through with the goods in transport, I'm going to sort of focus on that type of a uh, translation, flow or breakthrough. What does that remind you of? I'm thinking a flow of God. So, now it gets interesting. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on to the district of Shalom, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin and they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zaph, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come, let us go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and he'll start worrying about us. Towns and cities and places in, the, in that time had special meaning. And so I started looking at what do these towns mean. Ephraim. The meaning of Ephraim was a son of jo Joseph or double fruit. Shalisa meant, uh, meant a trebled land. Shalom, a place of foxes. Benjamin, the son of the right hand. And Zaph was an overflow like honeycomb. Thinking about that, they're going back to all these places with special meaning where they were looking for something, be it donkeys or be it a move of God that had been in those places at special times. And so how many times in our life do we go back 
looking for God in the things where he actually manifested himself and we don't find him because he ain't there. He's gone forward. And I think this message is so important for today that as the Spirit leads us into new things, that we can't go back to what the Spirit was doing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, because God's moved on. We need to look for the fresh anointing. So the servant replied, look in this town, there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. So let us go there now. Perhaps he will tell us which way to take. Saul said to his servant, if we go, we can, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone and we have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant again answered him, look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. So formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. So just in recapping, they went to look for the donkeys or went to look for a movement of God. And they went to the familiar places where they knew he was, but never found it. So how often in church history do we do that? I'm thinking of things like the great moves, the great um, outpouring of the Spirit, even back in Charles Wesley's time in England and in Wales, and we talk about the Toronto blessing. We can't make that happen again. That was unique to that time and that time period. So personally, the other thing that I pondered was what are your donkeys? What have you lost? Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's peace in these difficult times. Maybe it's your first love. Maybe it's faith, healing, deliverance. Could be any one of those things or it could be a combination of them. So like the servant that we talked about where he said he has the silver, the shekel of silver in his hand. We have to stop and look and say, what has God given us? What, are we, what do we have in our hand that God can use to almost take us on to the next thing that God is doing? There's something in our hand. What are we holding on to? We've heard just over recent weeks a lot of emphasis put on the, uh, the boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Out of that, that's all he had in his hand, but there were many thousands of people fed. In fact, there were 12 basketfuls left over. So whatever it is that you're holding in your hand, God can use it. Not only can he use it, he'll multiply it for his purposes. So Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. And as they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming to draw water. And they asked them, is the seer here? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. So hurry now. He's just come to our town today for the people, of sac uh, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. And as soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice and afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you should find him about this time. So they went to town, 
And as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. So just recapping again, Saul went to all those familiar places like us, sometimes in our flesh. We revert back to what we know and what is comfortable and try doing what has worked before. It was not until they started to seek the seer, or in our case, the leading of the Holy Spirit, that things started to fall into place for God's plan to work. And it was at this time, Saul had no idea what was to come. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the uh, Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Sometimes the Lord tells us to do something or we're just following the obedience of the leading of the Holy Spirit, not knowing where God's taking us or what, what is ahead of us. But we have to stop and remember that when God tells you to do something or he leads you in a direction, he's already prepared someone down the track that will join in with you or give you direction or will uh, join with you in what God has ordained. That, that's the scary part of stepping out and just having faith and knowing that God is working. I think we've heard that today. God is working. Saul finally gave up looking for the donkeys. And he's now looking for a fresh revelation for his future. Even though he doesn't know what it is. So God has orchestrated what was to come. I believe God's orchestrating something now. We hear on the news, I've just, I'll turn it off now. I turn it off. We hear on the news of all these things that are happening, but God's orchestrating something over and above what we're seeing on the news. We've heard testimony of that this morning from Brian and, uh, and uh, even what Matt's shared this morning and, and others as well, that the Lord is preparing. He's calling divine appointments into place. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Hearts are being prepared for your purpose right now. So now from Samuel's perspective, he was being led by God as the Lord said to him, this is the man I told you about. So Saul was really, I mean, sorry, it wasn't Saul, it was Samuel. Samuel was listening to God, listening for the direction of the Holy Spirit. So Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and said, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I'll send you on your way, and I'll tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys, you lost them three days ago, but don't worry about them, because they've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line. There was a prophetic word spoken right there and then over Saul. 
I believe God is preparing a feast for us. He's preparing it for us. We might know where it is or how it's going to happen, but he is preparing a place for us to sit down and to eat with him and fellowship with him. We see in there the gift of prophecy being uh, used and even though that the coming of the Holy Spirit wasn't there, then we know that the Holy Spirit was present anyway because John tells us that in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word and so they were there. Saul answered, but I'm not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? He was a bit set back. He wasn't expecting quite that. Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one that I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the high uh, took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. And Samuel said, Here is what has been kept for you. Eat it. It was set aside for you for this occasion. From the time I said, I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. The Lord is saying to us in 2021, Look what I have prepared for you. I have prepared for you. I have laid it aside. The best. It's not just a piece of meat. It was the best. And after they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of the house. And they rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, I will send you on your way. And when Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell a servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I might give you a message from God. I believe that also gives us an insight into what happened at Pentecost when he said to the disciples, stay and wait for the promise. He's saying here to Saul, stay and wait so that I can give you the message from God. Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin, and they will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you the two loaves of bread which you will accept from them. And after that you will go to Gabeah of God where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town... You will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, harps being played before them and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them 
and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. I believe that is also a sign there of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there's one more thing I just want to share about this stick. When I was a young fellow, and as I said, it was in a uh, Methodist church where they didn't accept things like the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But one day in our studies, came across the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I went to my grandfather, because he was a minister as well, and I asked him about it. And his reply actually quite astounded me. He said to me this, I was in the trenches in France and I was scared, petrified for my life. And I lifted up my hands to heaven and said, God, I need your anointing. And the Holy Spirit poured out of him in that trench and he spoke in tongues and received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The sad part about it is believed that it was only for that occasion and didn't carry that anointing. So I've taken up the stick. From generation to generation, there's an anointing that is on our nation today that God is going to do great things in the midst of what we see as calamity. My encouragement to you today, my encouragement to you today is this, and it's the words out of a song we used to sing. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. Look what the Lord has done in me. I think we've heard that word this morning. <laughs> That's what I said. The Lord's just tied this all together. Look what the Lord has done in me. And I just feel really felt in the spirit as uh, I was sitting there and Alita was sharing this morning. That prayer that we prayed was great. But I just feel that that song, we need to sing it again. The song from generation to generation. And I think that we need to stand. There's so many banners in here. Let's get them all out. Not just one or two. Let's get them all out and make a declaration over this nation that this is the land of the Holy Spirit. It was prophesied, it was set aside, and what God said will occur, will occur. It's not going to be maybe or if or whatever. It is set in the Bible, it is set in God's word, that what he said will achieve, he will achieve it. So COVID, be gone in Jesus' name, and Australia arise from generation to generation.